1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us.
0: And so, you know, it was really a good opportunity to step back and ask the question, What's changed? But more importantly also, I think that's important, is what hasn't changed?
1: That's Sergio Caltagironi. He's Vice President of Threat Intelligence at Dragos. Today we're discussing their 2020 ICS and OT Cybersecurity Year in Review. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash Zero Trust AI.
0: We've been doing this report for three years now. Uh, Obviously, Dragos has been around for four and a half years, and... You know, really, one thing we we've always looked at is other vendors and other members of the community who have been able to put together real data points about cybersecurity. And I think that we all, you know, in this space, we all have all of these anecdotes about stuff happening, and that's great. But it doesn't. Anecdotes don't make good policy, and I think that's true almost everywhere. And uh, what Dragos really wanted to do was say, "Hey, look, ICS and operational technology—the the systems that run our." you know, our power, our water, our food manufacturing plants, and they keep us safe and healthy, and they produce drugs and pharmaceutical factories and so forth. Like, we need data about that, too. It's not just about email systems being compromised or, you know, web browsers or, you know, zero days um, affecting, you know, your, uh, you know, Zoom or, or whatever. You know, it's really about, you know, how are we doing in the industrial sector specifically, because uh, it is a very unique one. And so, Every year now, we've done a report, and it's it's a it's a bear, man. I gotta tell you, it's one of the hardest things I do, um, because it takes so much work to really pull apart. You know, after a whole after a whole years of work, it's hard to pull apart. Like, you know, and step back after you're like, you know, you fight you fight fires every day, and you step back, and you're like, okay, well, what is what really happened this last year? Of course, 2020 being unique in that we have you know, all these other global events that have been placed on top of us as well, and. And so, you know, it was really a good opportunity to step back and ask the question, what's changed? But more importantly, also, I think that's important is what hasn't changed um, and what needs to change. And so that's why we put this together and we really try to make it data driven.
1: All right. Well, let's let's use that as our point of departure then. I mean, what what, what are the things that you tracked in terms of uh, what changed and what didn't change?
0: Yeah. It, you know, I, and I love to say that our 2020 year and report is awesome. But more importantly, it's how you the reports together, and also how you look at them in terms of, you know, comparison to other reports in the industry um, to get a better sense of, like I said, the strategic cybersecurity picture for industrial. You know, for us, we have been tracking threats, we've been tracking vulnerabilities, and then we also, you know, have been tracking our engagements. So when we show up on site at a customer environment, the question is, well, what did we find? What didn't we find? What was available to the defenders? What wasn't? What worked and what didn't? Basically, to help all of us kind of get better at understanding, you know, what's going on in the world, what's happening with our systems in the vulnerability space, and then ultimately, when bad things happen, what's going on when we get there? And so really we break the report down into those three steps because all three of those steps are, are necessary for bad stuff to happen. You got to have a bad person out there doing things. you got to have some way for them to do it, a vulnerability. And then finally, you have to have defenders who were unable, right to defend their systems effectively. Um, and so all three of those are kind of part of the picture of creating a defensible industrial control environment. Fundamentally, so in the threat space, you know, it's really important to recognize that we've only been looking at, th- at industrial threats directly and uh, and, and focused on the, for the last four, four and a half to five years. And what we've found is that over that period of time, the threat landscape is growing. That's an easy thing. Everybody in the cybersecurity community says that, by the way. So, um, you know, that, that statement alone shouldn't cause any issues. But what's really important to rel- realize is that we're growing at about a 3x rate. And so we are tripling our threats. For every threat that seems to kind of go quiet, um, we're getting three new ones. And for us, that's really, really important. And we're just sitting at the tip of this iceberg because 10 years ago, you know, when Stuxnet came out and everyone was like, whoa, what just happened here? And everyone looked around at everyone else and was like, "Uh, is this something different? Is this, you know, is this matter? Every uh, all of all of the major adversaries in the world started putting money and resources into this problem. Like, hey, well, if somebody can take down our manufacturing systems, we should be able to take down theirs. You know, what we found is this three X shows perfectly that ten years ago, people really started like investing, and it takes five to seven years for an investment in a new attack surface to really, you know, uh, bore uh, results. And so what we found is this year, we added four new dedicated ICS attack groups um, to our inventory. And that's really impressive for a single year, especially for one where we're really just looking at the beginnings of this. The second area is vulnerabilities. And this is one where, you know, we've really focused on our vulnerabilities being captured accurately. And do people have the information necessary to, uh, to understand them? There's thousands of vulnerabilities in the world, Dave. What are we gonna, you know, how can how can a, an asset owner understand which ones they need to patch today? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, they're like, oh, well, let's look at what people have written about it, you know, the governments or whatever. We found that that in 70% of the cases, the public of publicly available information about industrial vulnerabilities underreported the severity of that vulnerability, which means that in most cases, Asset owners were not operating on accurate information when it came to which vulnerabilities they needed to to address in their environment. In addition to that, 30% of the vulnerabilities that were publicly reported um, in 2020 were wrong for industrial. And that again is another point to say vulnerability analysis and uh, in the industrial space is very poor. Uh, Mm. And so there's a lot of work that has to get done so that. You know, when we do patch these systems, some of these industrial environments only go down once or twice a year. Some only go down once or twice every decade. Um, you know, when they have the chance to really get in there and clean and patch and, and do all of this, you know, what are the what are the ones they're going to work on? Well, they need good information to decide that. And the last thing that really kind of jumped out at us was that 90%, in 90% of the cases where a customer calls us and says, hey, there's a bad thing happening. Can you come help? 90% of those cases, Dave, there was no data available to help. And that continuously shows, and that's not a change, that continuously shows how this really, um, you know, fundamentally has our our visibility into the industrial landscape has not yet fundamentally evolved. We're getting better, but still there's too many industrial environments that are having cybersecurity problems, and they just can't see them. And of course, the rule is, if you can't see it, you can't protect it. And so we really need to get better there. So I think in all of those three areas, we're showing that, it's really getting worse. There are, but there are huge opportunities for us to do small things to get better.
1: Help me understand the the, the sort of the spectrum between um, the number of folks who are coming at these systems, you know, the bad guys targeting ICS environments, but also um, the amount that folks are now looking. At them are or, or looking for those bad guys to be coming. You follow me here? Like, yep. how much of this is actually an increase in attacks, and how much of is is that we're actually looking for them now?
0: Oh, you, bit, Dave, you hit, you're 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 going right after my heart here. Um, <laughs> so that is called uh, that's called visibility bias in intelligence analysis, right? So, yeah, uh, sometimes you can only you can only, well. First of all, uh, I like to say that visibility is king of intelligence, right? Because you can only see you can only know what you can see, and so we again we only know what we can see. And the fact is that the answer is yes. Dragos has changed for a lot of people in a way that we are looking specifically for things that people weren't looking for before. So the answer is we are absolutely going to find things that were around. Now, what's important to realize is that we try our hardest to balance that bias with external data sources that can give us an insight as to when this threat began. And so what we try to do is measure not just is there a threat, but what is the earliest timeline of that threat? So that then, yes, we can answer that question better as to when did this start? Was this new, or did this like Zena time, like one of the tra- uh, threats we track? We have evidence of them going all the way back to 2014, and we found them in 2017. Hmm. Um, and so, yes, but in the in the cases of this year, um, most of the threats that we're finding are new uh, from the visibility that we have. We're able to confirm that yes, these are these are that have just begun in the last year to two years.
1: In terms of how we take action based on the information that you all have gathered here, uh, to what degree are we behind is this a is this a, a Manhattan project kind of thing where you know we've got to get all hands on deck and work on this, or is there a more deliberate sort of you know uh, uh, rational kind of slow thing where we can plan and say, okay, you know over the next x number of years we are going to get to this point as a nation,
0: yeah. That's a great question. And, and I, I, want, I want also to to recognize that this isn't a U.S. problem, right, that this, is, this affects, you know, 7 billion people worldwide who mm. use industrial control systems for reliable power and clean water and so forth. So, um, you know, this is a global issue. And when attackers attack a system in, say, uh, India, and they affect an industrial control system there, they're mm. learning how they attack de- industrial control systems elsewhere, Mm-hmm. Um, so you see that that very traditional threat proliferation problem, and so that's why we treat this as a you know we very much treat this as a global issue. The I think what we've seen is especially with say the water um, the water treatment facility in Oldsmar, Florida, um, and with other incidents that happened last year and over the last couple of years, I think we're seeing increased urgency. Four years ago, Dave, when I think you and I first talked, this was very much a hey. Things aren't bad, you know, not bad yet. They're going to get worse. We can kind of see that, you know, we have time. I, I think that that, that that clock is running out on us. And I think hmm. that we're not getting better fast enough. And I think the answer is that we are getting left behind. We had the opportunities, you know, four or five years ago to get better when we knew this was going to be a problem. And I think that we're not yet seeing the amount of acceleration to protect these environments that we should have. And my concern is that this is slowly turning from a hey, you know, we can do this, it can be methodical, it can be improved, we can get better. And I've got to say, over, over the next three to four years, this is going to turn into a Manhattan project. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is, we are in a very important situation where we know what we need to do. There is no question that water treatment plants need to be protected. The answer is going to be what do we do about it? And the answer is it's coming right? It's it's, it's here and it's going to come even more. It's going to come more often. So the answer is we need, first of all, Dave, the answer is visibility, visibility, visibility. I've hit it several times in this podcast so far. Mm -hmm. If you can't see it, you can't protect it. And so with that 90% statistic of most organizations don't even have the basic data to protect themselves, we have to start there. And if we don't start there, when we have an Oldsmar, we're going to get stuck in the same situation of Something bad happened, but we don't entirely know what or how or when or so forth. Um, and we need to get better at doing that. And that is our first step to understanding the adversaries and then to lay the foundation of greater defensive action uh, as we move forth.
1: Forgive the the, the naivety of my question here and, and, and nerding out a little bit, but is there is there an element where uh, market pressures can, can tend to outstrip Uh, The security of the security realities and what I'm thinking of is you know somebody has a a pump sitting out in the middle of nowhere uh, and that pump needs to be monitored and you know time was perhaps you know we sent a couple of folks out uh, on some interval and they went and they took measurements on that pump and and made sure that pump was working when all that pump is remotely monitored you know the the miracle of 5G has Correct. allowed us to remotely monitor that pump right? right uh and has that has the fact that we're not actually sending real human beings out there we're trusting the data stream that's coming from whatever monitors we put on that pump um are we kind of to mix metaphors you know are we out kicking our coverage
0: oh that is a great question dave and it's not naive at all this is actually wonderful in fact this this brings me to one of my favorite facts about industrial control systems mm. one of the reasons why rural telephone networks were legislated to exist inside the United States was because of the need to manage electricity over long distances. And so, in fact, one of the earliest uses of rural telephone lines was to manage remote electrical stations. Hmm. Um, And so in the industrial space, we are in no way, shape, or form, uh, you know, um, afraid of remote or distance uh, issues In fact, it's pretty much baked into most ways we think about industrial, hmm. and the key element is that the adversaries right now, yes, will we potentially have to question our monitoring you know systems and things and our sensors? Yes, we will probably have to do so. But just like in the land of an IT, the adversaries are still such that they don't really care if they got caught. It doesn't really harm them fundamentally. They're, you know, they're, do, they're doing a little bit of log manipulation and things like that in IT, but not, not really. It, it's, you know, it's still funny how much data you get about them when you have the data. And I think so for us, it's a great question, but I think that is a question that that we should be ad- hopefully addressing in 10 years, um, not this year. That is a, a future issue. And I think we still have to get to the, can we see it before we get to the question of, can we trust the data that we see?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, big picture take-homes, what do you hope people walk away with after they've read the report?
0: One is that there should be public pressure generally um, on public policymakers um, to improve the cybersecurity systems of public utilities. Uh, That has to be a critical element of what we do. In addition to that, private entities, Um, need to recognize the raw data here and say, okay, if we have a major incident, in 90% of the cases, we will have no idea what just happened. And that is not okay if you want to be able to bring a plant back up online safely. And so I think both from a market pressure, from downtimes and and industrial operations stoppages and so forth, Um, and disruptions all the way back to uh, the public utilities need to be protected. Are we need to have reliable and safe electricity and drinking water and so forth? I think we need pressure on both sides um, to make industrial systems better. And and so I think that there's a a role for everybody. There's a role for people reading this report and listening to you who are like, yeah, I've never touched or I don't even know about industrial systems. Well, you know what? (laughs) Call your public utility commission and say, what are we doing about this? Right. Um, Talk to your your legislators, talk to your local governments, um, talk to people who have control over this happening um, for your communities. You don't want to be in Oldsmar, Florida. Um, And in addition to that, the company leaders um, who are listening to this need to start looking at the data and say, wow, we have an industrial environment and this is coming at us like a freight train. We should probably do something about it now. So I think there's something in this report for everyone to take away and do something.
1: Our thanks to Sergio Caltagironi from Dragos for joining us. We were discussing their 2020 ICS and OT cybersecurity trends year in review. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past.